Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. What's up, citizens? How we doing? How we doing, guys? Come on. Let's go. Come on. Guys, I'm so excited that you guys are back here. Uh, we're in the gym for probably the last time, unless they decide to do another VBS, which would be crazy because the summer is over. And so we're here um, tonight to let VBS have all their crazy decorations and stuff in the auditorium. Uh, but it's good to be back with you guys tonight. It's good to hear you guys sing. It's good to hear you guys encourage one another and to worship the Lord uh, together through singing. If it's your first time here at Citizens or like maybe your second or third or you came once a couple months ago and you're like brand new tonight, I just want to say welcome. I'm super glad that you're here. Uh, I'd love to meet you after we gather. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and I'd uh, love to tell you more about Citizens and who we are here. So tonight, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are continuing on. Actually, we're closing our series called Summer of Life. We did it. This is the eighth week in Romans chapter eight. They said it couldn't be done. They said I was a crazy person. Eight weeks in Romans eight, impossible. Here we are. We did it. You guys made it. Give yourself a pat on the back right now. So we did it. Eight weeks in Romans chapter eight. That's awesome. Tonight, we're going to learn one of the clearest, one of the most specific, and one of the most uh, prevalent truths in all of scripture but it's also one of the hardest to believe sometimes in our own lives. It is a crystal clear truth from scripture that is sometimes in our lives, one of the hardest truths to believe. And we're talking tonight about the fact that God loves his children and that God loves you. And we hear that all the time. There's t-shirts that say it, there's hats that say it. We put it in our Instagram bios. You encourage your friends with it and you say, you know, Jesus loves you. God loves you. And it is absolutely true. But sometimes it's the hardest thing to believe in our lives, depending on where we're at. I know it to be true throughout all my life that God has loved me even before I loved God, even before I was aware of who God was. We see in another section in Romans that uh, God loved us even while we were still yet sinners. But sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to belief. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 going through verse 39 is all about God's everlasting love, right? We talked about God being the everlasting king, the sovereign king over everything. And tonight that word everlasting is used and is implied in this text that the love that God has for you withstands absolutely everything. It withstands trial. It withstands your emotion. It withstands your uh, physical state. It withstands your mental capacity. God's love for you is everlasting. And if there's one thing I want you to know tonight, it's that truth. And sometimes it's the hardest truth for us to believe. Amen? It happens sometimes. But tonight, God's word, and I hope it shows you, and I hope you're convinced of that truth tonight. So there's some things in life that you would be good to avoid. Just, just putting it out there. New drivers in the room, any new drivers in the room? Yeah, okay, like driving permit. Maybe you have like the fake permit right now that you have to like unfold and like show people like, look, I got my permit, 
right? I did that when I was growing up. I had like the paper that was like stapled together and stuff. Um, and I was so pumped for it. But like new drivers in the room, it is best for you to avoid potholes. It's just like, you don't, you know, you just need to swerve around them. It's bad for you. It's bad for your car. It'd actually be best for you just to avoid driving whatsoever around this area because people don't know how to drive. It's pretty ridiculous, you know? It's, it might just be best for you to avoid driving whatsoever. Um, okay, and if you are um, getting a call one day from 1-800 number and they tell you, hey, your car's extended warranty is like about to expire and you're like, I don't even have a car. Um, maybe I should continue. No, it's best to avoid those calls at all possible, right? You know, you want to keep an arm's length away from things like that, right? Or maybe many Christian people in this room are going to go to, go to uh, Christian schools in the future. And I promise you, especially young ladies, if you go to a Christian school, there very well may be an opportunity, a time um, where a young gentleman will come up to you and say the following. They will say, God told me Now hear me out. They're going to say, God told me. I was praying. I was reading scripture. I was on my face before the Lord, right before I played Fortnite for 12 hours. And I realized that God wants me to be with you in a courting relationship. And you young ladies would be best to avoid that person for the rest of your life. Just like, <laughs> nope, don't need it. Don't want it. All right, I promise you, you have my permission. Just nope, nope. Well, God didn't tell me that and point to it in scripture. Oh, got him, got him. Uh, you can Jesus juke him on that one. But no, uh, there's plenty of things in this life that we try to avoid, right? We try and keep an arm's length away from like kind of goofy things like that. And then there's some more serious situations we try to avoid, right? If you're going, uh, hang out with a group of people and you know that uh, that party you're going to go to is going to get a little out of hand, you're like, you know what? Maybe it's just best for me to avoid that. Maybe there's someone in your life who brings you to, uh, you know, believe things that aren't true. And you're like, maybe it's best for me to avoid that person. But over all of these things, oftentimes we try to avoid pain, right? And you might hear that and you're like, that's pretty obvious. People in this room trying to avoid pain. We're trying to uh, avoid pain, avoid suffering, avoid trials. If we can stay as far away from those things as possible, that would be pretty okay with me, right? We wake up in the morning and we don't think to ourselves, how can we make our lives more difficult today? How can I make my life more painful? How can I make this trial worse, right? We wake up and we want one thing, what that's security. We want a few things. We want security, we want love, we want comfort. None of us in this room ever think that like we want to withstand trials. But what we're gonna read tonight and what we're gonna see in scripture is that it's impossible for you and I to avoid these things. It's impossible for us to keep an arm's length away from trials. It's uh, impossible for you and I to just say, okay, that's good. I'm going to just completely remove myself from pain and suffering, right? You can't avoid some of those things. But unlike the world who would uh, try to push those things away or embrace them in times, but just try their hardest to get out of it, you and I as Christians respond differently to these trials. You and I as Christians, we respond to these things differently. And I'm here to tell you that those times can be hard, and in the midst of some of those trials we're going to read about tonight, we can ask ourselves some pretty serious questions. Say, man, this is not really going super well for me in life right now. My friend has gotten sick. Uh, a loved one I know has passed away. I didn't get into that school I wanted. This friend has betrayed me. Things aren't looking like too great for me right now. And I know God has promised good things for me, but can he really love me right now? Like, does he really care about me right now? Like, I know he loves all of humanity and all of that, but does he love me right now in this moment? 
because I don't necessarily feel like he does. And I know I've been there a couple times in my life and I don't want this to be a place where we can't try and like hide those thoughts, right? We're like, well, no, like scripture and theology says this and we can't ever feel anything like that. We don't wanna be a community that avoids those questions whatsoever. But I'm here to tell you tonight, we're gonna see in scripture that God's word has answers to some of those questions that we have. Those moments that are hard, God is not afraid of those doubts or fears that you have, but we as Christians respond differently. And I think that we have currently in our you know, Christian context, sometimes an incorrect perspective on suffering and an incorrect perspective on what to do when we experience those things. Sometimes we can have these doubts, we can have these questions, we don't mention them, we don't even think about them. And we just say, I'm supposed to, you know, kind of endure this. And I know one day it'll make me better, but like, I'm just gonna like endure it right now. And I have no power over this. I have no hope in this. I just have to kind of get through it and maybe it'll go away at some point in some time. And tonight we're gonna see that that is absolutely not the position we take as believers. And that God has actually, because of his son, put us in an incredible position of power over the trials and tribulations that would come to you. Over those difficult moments, you and I as Christians have incredible power over these things. We can't avoid suffering, but we can endure it. And we can know that we have an unshakable, unmovable faith and power and love from God that will never fade. When problems seem to pop up in our face, when life gets heavy, when life gets hard, sometimes we forget our position as believers. Man, I hope that if you're going through something right now, you don't feel powerless. I hope that when you eventually in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, years, when you go through something difficult, I hope you don't feel powerless in the midst of that trial. Because tonight we're gonna see that believers, if you're a Christian in the room, we have incredible power because of what Christ has done and through God and through his love. So the main idea tonight is this. If you have a pen, if you have it, write this down. Christians stand firm in the middle of trials because of their unshakable position in God's everlasting love. Christians stand firm in the middle of trials because of their unshakable position in God's everlasting love. That's what we're gonna read tonight. Because true life starts when you know how loved you are. When you know that you're loved, when you know that you're secure, that's where true life begins. That's what we're gonna see tonight. Let's pray together. And then we're gonna break down these incredible verses, verses 31 through 39. God, we love you. Thank you for the truths that you have for us tonight. God, I pray that you would um, illuminate the truths from your word, uh, that you would put away whatever would be uh, my opinion or my perspective, but would you speak truth to us tonight? Uh, God, we love you. We're thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, read along with me. Romans 8, this is the very end. Paul has been talking about life in the spirit. He says, true life comes from the spirit. We learned in the first couple weeks. And then in the last few weeks, we kind of have this, you know, half and half part of Romans 8, where the second half is now about us and our response to these incredible truths. Uh, our response to the fact that we're adopted in to God's kingdom. Our response to the fact that God is a sovereign king. And now Paul is closing the argument with the most beautiful thing that is sometimes hard for us to believe, but God's love is everlasting. 31 says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? Um, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us. How will we not also, that's an important part of that sentence, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verses 31 through uh, 34 show us this one truth, that God's everlasting love bring his children everlasting security. God's everlasting love for you brings you now everlasting security in him. All throughout these passages, we're going to read here tonight, God's love and your security in him are inseparable, right? If you're loved by him, you are secure in him. And if you're secure in him, you are loved by him. His love for you and your security in him are absolutely inseparable. So God's everlasting love brings his children everlasting security. Security, confidence, an unshakable and unmovable perspective on the reality that God loves them. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In this verse, Paul is finishing up not just the argument he made in Romans chapter eight, but also all the other chapters before this, first, you know, chapters like three through eight are all about how we're justified by faith and things like that. It's an amazing couple of uh, chapters in scripture. And he is almost closing an argument here. And he says, what do we say to these things? Because I'm adopted into God's family, because God is a sovereign king, because the prize that Christ won is now mine, and because I am now found in him, what are we gonna say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what he says to his listeners. And mind you, his listeners weren't in an awesome spot. I was, I was like preparing for this today. And I'm like, I feel like I say that a ton, but like all of scripture, a bunch of scripture is written to people who are enduring things. They're enduring difficult seasons. And a lot of the uh, uh, epistles are uh, written to people who are enduring something. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That is a truth. That is a truth that needs to be in the heart and the mind of every believer. It needs to be on the forefront of your mind. If God is for us, then who can be against us? It's an attitude that we have. It's a perspective that we have. If God is on our side, who can possibly be against us? Now, the question of course is, is God on my side? Of course, we know that to be true, but sometimes we find it hard to believe that he actually is. And that's where we have to pray. That's where we have to have faith to know that God is on our side as Christians. There's this unstoppable kind of unwavering perspective that you have when you realize that God is on your side. Let's say it like this. Let's say you are like preparing for a three on three like basketball match. You're like, all right, I need to get two other guys. We're gonna play another three guys. I need to find a couple good players on your team. And then so you're like, all right, I've got my buddy, John. He's like 5'11", he's all right, he's fine. Then there's me, all right, we need one more player. And these other guys we're playing are pretty good, but we, we need one more player. And then your friend John is like, wait, I have a buddy who can come, he makes a call. And he's like, all right, cool, can you be here? And he's like, yeah, great. And you're like, who are you talking to? And then like your buddy hangs up his phone and he's like, don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden out of the corner of the gym walks in LeBron James. And LeBron is like, I'm gonna be on your three-on-three -three basketball team right now. And you're like, can you sign 
this t-shirt I have or whatever, right? And then you now know that LeBron James and your buddy John are playing against your other buddies in high school. Do you have some confidence walking into that game at that point? Just like a little bit more confidence in that moment? Maybe just like a tiny bit, right? And in that moment, you just would like witness this incredible, like just LeBron James just like destroying all your buddies and just like you walk away in victory, right? That perspective of knowing I have someone on my side who's absolutely gonna win the day for me. It's not something that I'm gonna do, but now my position being aligned with this person is gonna bring me victory. And more so than that, that's like a dumb example. That's like a silly example. Way more so than that. We have somebody on our side, someone that we are aligned to, not because of anything we've done, not by any skills, not by anything that we bring to the table. We as Christians have our position as God's children. And if we share his heart, if we are following after him and we are listening to the guiding of his Holy Spirit and we're following the instructions that he has in his word, then there is nothing that is going to stand against you that is going to beat you. That's 100% true. There's nothing that will stand against you that will ultimately defeat you. Because God will always give you everything that you need in order to accomplish the things that he's called you to do. If he's called you to witness to your friends in high school, if he's called you to witness to your friends in that class that you're in, he will give you the opportunity, he will give you the boldness, he will give you the right words to say because God is with you in that moment. Man, if you're going through something, your faith is being actively challenged. Somebody is trying to discredit the things that you're doing. Someone is making fun of you. Somebody is now not your friend anymore because they realized you're a Christian. And you're like, dude, this completely is lame. God will give you everything that you need in that moment to be victorious because God always is for you when we're following after him, right? When we're following after his word, when we're listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God always gives you everything that you need. And he gives you everything that you need in the midst of the trial, the thing that you're going through right now that you just completely hate. How would that change your perspective when that bad thing happens? Right, when that friend says that thing that hurts your feelings, when, when you uh, have that tough conversation with mom or dad, how would this truth absolutely change your perspective in that moment? Because Christians, we're not called to be powerless. When stuff goes wrong, when things are hard, we can confidently hold in our heads and in our hearts this perspective. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, it's like when you're a little kid, that confidence that you have when your mom and dad tells you to go do something, right? Maybe it's something you've never done before. You're jumping off the high dive, you're jumping into the deep end of a pool and your mom and dad, they're with you and they give you permission. They're like, yeah, go for it. You got it, jump right in. And then you do and you're like, I am like six years old and I'm swimming in the deep end of a pool. This is amazing, right? The confidence that your mom, your loving mom or dad that gives you in that moment causes you to be excited, causes you to, to be ecstatic, causes you to be confident, right? Because you believe that they have your side. They believe, you believe that they have your back. And it's the same thing with God. God, our perfect heavenly father, the God who gives perfect gifts, he's with you, he is close, he is near. God's everlasting love brings his children everlasting security. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Continuing on, verse, verse 32. It's this incredible verse. I absolutely love this verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is saying, hey, in the midst of this difficulty, you can ask God for things, right? We talked about this a couple of verses ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God intercedes for us, right? God's spirit intercedes for you when you don't know what to say, when things are difficult, when you don't know who to turn to, God's spirit intercedes for us. He asks, uh, you know, God's spirit asks God for the exact things we need in that moment. And Paul draws this like minor comparison, this tiny, small little detail. And he's like, okay, God gave up his son Jesus for us. He may be able to give you some things that you need in this trial. Just like maybe though. He didn't, he didn't even spare his own son. He counted the cost. He knew what the cost would be. It was a brutal and ugly and terrible cost. And he gave him to you anyway. And Paul says, how will he also not graciously give you the things that you need right now? He's drawing in the light and the comparison of God's son, Jesus Christ. If you don't know who Jesus is, Jesus is the son of God. He walked on this earth about 2000 years ago. We believe he was, uh, he was born according to the scriptures, what would be prophesied about him in the Old Testament. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross and he rose again from the dead. That's what this verse is saying. He who did not spare his own son. Friends, we can confidently go to God because of this truth. And we can believe the reality that God is willing and ready to also give us the things that we need in our struggle, in our struggle against sin, in our struggle against temptation, in our struggle uh, against just the emotional difficulties of this life. Will he not also graciously give us all things, right? And you're like, I'd really love a Ferrari right now, God. I think I just absolutely need that right now, right? And of course, we joke about some of those things sometimes. Well, the Lord will give us absolutely everything that we need, right? Not necessarily always want, but what we need in that moment. And sometimes we're really thankful when God doesn't answer prayers the way we thought, but this verse is absolutely incredible. And now looking at this verse, we have to ask the age old question. So we're gonna talk about, we're gonna see God's incredible, enduring, everlasting love. And this verse shows us what love is. We have to kind of ask ourselves the age old question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more, right? What is love? We have to ask ourselves, what is love? Because everyone in this room might define love a little bit differently. If I gave you a piece of paper, I said, write down your definition of love. I guarantee you, we'd have some similarities, but every single person in this room is gonna have something a little bit different, right? Because we all come from different perspectives. We all come from different backgrounds. We're all hearing different things about what love actually is. Some people in this room might believe that love is emotional. It's an emotional thing that happens. It's purely emotional. Like when you see that person walking down the hall and your heart like skips a beat and you're like, does my hair look okay? Do my clothes look cool? Am I going to try and say something? Am I not going to try and say something? And you're like, hello. And you're like, ah, dang it, I messed that up, right? At least maybe if you were me, that's what you did. But like that idea, that feeling, that emotion, you're like, that's love. Whatever that thing is, we can't really quantify it. We can't really measure it. But that is, it's emotion. It's love. That's what it is. Or maybe if you're in this room right now, you might believe that love is transactional, right? You have a friend and, and they give you stuff, right? They, they, they give you stuff. They give you companionship, friendship, support. And also you give that in return. 
you kind of have this balancing, uh, you know, act of like, okay, you know, some seasons I might support them more than me, but like it about evens out. We mutually enjoy each other's time and encouragement. And you might see love as like this give and take, this transactional type thing. Or maybe, and a lot of people are here, if you're more achievement driven, you're like, this is definitely you. Some people in the room believe that love is based on performance. Love is based on being good enough. When I get my stuff together, then I will be loved. When I figure this stuff out, when I have enough friends, when I have the right look, when I have the right perspective, when I have the right everything, then I'll be loved. And, in, and the same in return. When that person acts more like me, when that person gets more in line with what I believe, then I'll love them, right? It's based on performance. And I'm here to say that none of those things are actually what love is. All those things are, are a skewed and terrible perspective on what love is. What love actually truly is, is found here in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That is love. Because love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. And God gave you everything. Love is sacrifice. You before me. You before me. That's what love is. If you're going through a difficult time and a friend shows up to your doorstep at like 11 o'clock at night just to pray with you, that's how you know they love you, right? They spent time. It was inconvenient for them. They spent gas money and they showed up for you because they're sacrificing something. When your parents drive you to practice every day, you may not realize it yet, like I didn't, but like they're giving up a lot for you in that moment because they love you. It's sacrifice. That's what love truly is at the end of the day. And Jesus's ultimate sacrifice is our perspective on what ultimate love is. The ultimate sacrifice in all of history is now the display of ultimate love, the cross of Jesus Christ. Have you seen the cross so much that you've forgotten what it means? The cross is God's love letter to you. The cross is saying, I did not spare my own son for you. Like Romans 8 verse 32 says, I considered the cost, I thought about it, and I still decided to sacrifice my son for you. That's what the cross says. And the cross says, I love you. That's what verse 32 is. That's what verse 32 is communicating. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us. And then Paul, of course, draws the reality. How will he also not give you the things that you need? The very things that you need as a Christian in this life against temptation, against sin, God will give you the things that you need. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God elect? Uh, God's elect. It is God who justifies, who can condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God. All right. This, all these verses are under that one point that God's everlasting love brings his children everlasting security. When we learn that love is sacrifice. And so verse 34, or verse 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's a judicial term. That's a legal term to be sued or to be charged, to be indebted to, to be uh, put in the seat and saying, you have been wronged. 
So many Christians in this day and age would have been facing actual legal consequences for what they were doing in Rome. They would be facing legal charges. And Paul is drawing that, you know, actually and symbolically for us. He's saying, who shall bring charges against the person that God has already said, you belong to me? You belong to me. You're my child. Paul is saying, who cares what anyone else says? Who cares what anyone else does? Who cares what happens? Who's going to bring charges against God's elect? And you might be like, a ton of people. I've had a ton of bad things happen. I've seen what happens. But Paul is, of course, drawing in the reality of the gospel. And he's saying at the end of all things, who shall bring charges against God's elect that will separate them from God? And the answer is hypothetical, or he's drawing this hypothetical question to say that nothing and nobody because who is it? Who is it that holds the ultimate authority? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who's supposed to be uh, bringing charges against God's elect? It's God who justifies. He's drawing God. He's playing the God card in the midst of this. And it absolutely works. It absolutely works. Who's to condemn? God justified me. God saved me. God drawed me, drew me out of the pit. God drew me out of the worst of the worst, my sin and sickness and death. Who's going to bring charges against me? Do you see this perspective that Paul is building? Do you see this, this, this strength he is giving to the life of the believer? We're not powerless in the midst of the things that happen. He is, he is drawing our incredible seat at the table with God, not because of what we did, but because of what Christ did. And he's saying, who's going to bring charges against you? Who's going to say that you were wrong? Who's going to separate you from God? And we're going to see a billion times, nothing, not one thing, absolutely no one. That's our position as Christians. And friends, you can't live a life, a true life, until you know how deeply loved that you are. You can't live true life until you know how deeply loved you are. And God is protecting his children in his everlasting love. It's God who justifies, who's to condemn. Jesus Christ was the one who died. More than that, the one who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, drawing back to the reality of what we learned a few weeks ago. God is the one who himself, he has justified you and he is interceding for you. He is praying for you. He is, he is making petition to God the Father. The Holy Spirit is for you on our behalf. That's who God is. That is what he done. That's what he's done. Who can condemn? Who can condemn? Now, so many times in our lives, we, we feel condemned. We feel guilty. We feel like we're in the wrong. And that is exactly what the enemy wants to convince you of. The enemy would like to convince you that you have to earn your position back at the table with God. The enemy would love nothing more than to believe that once you mess up an X amount of times that God is going to say, I'm oh, just kidding, I'm going to condemn you. The enemy is just, the, he takes everything good. He takes everything, every word of God, and he tries to distort it. Did God really say this? Question mark. It's like the first thing we hear in all of scripture. Did God really say? Is that really true? Are you sure? And so oftentimes in life, we can get ourselves in this position like, man, I'm going through this hard time right now. God must be really condemning me for my sins. 
man, God must be really condemning me right now because of this. I must be in this absolute like situation because of this and that. And there's seasons where, you know, we, if we choose to sin, oftentimes we choose our own suffering. But further than that, the enemy would like to convince us that we are condemned, we are stuck in sin, and that we will never be freed from that. When this scripture shows us that God's the one who justified, aka saved you, there is nobody in this world, including yourself, who can condemn. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Jesus is the one who did it all, who died and who rose again. You couldn't do it, so God did. Remember that thing you did? God's got to be mad at you for that. That's what the enemy would like to say. Hey, that sin you did a few weeks ago, man, that's, that's just kind of who you are recently. That, that just must be what, like, what you're doing. Hey, that outlash that you had at your brother or sister, you're never going to be able to recover from that one. You're never going to be able to re recover it. You better watch your back. When God is saying this whole time, who can condemn you? The answer is nobody. We have eternal security in God's everlasting love. And so Paul being Paul likes to repeat in a couple different ways. And he is just going to bring it home here in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 30, 35. 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, God's everlasting love positions us as conquerors over the pains of this life. God's everlasting love positions us as conquerors over the pains of this life. That's the next point I want you to write down. God's everlasting love positions us as conquerors over the pains of this life. The pains, the tribulations, the trials, the temptation. God has defeated those things. And now we are considered, Paul says, more than conquerors. And you got to read that and be like, what? How is that true? Tribulation, hard times, oppression, distress, emotional turmoil, anxiety, depression, famine, emptiness, brokenness, nakedness, shame, danger or sword, physical, uh, you know, physical death, physical uh, beatings, physical separation from uh, families, all of these things the enemy would like to use as examples as to why God isn't as good as he says he is and why God isn't actually good to you. And these are the exact examples that Paul uses and that God shows us to prove to us that God is loving and that God is for you. And he says all these things that the enemy would like to make you believe are examples of why God doesn't love you because you're facing trials, because you're facing uh, shame, because you're facing distress. These are all the things that Paul brings into the light and says, even through distress, even through nakedness, aka shame, even through danger or sword, nothing can separate you from God. And more so than that, you are actually in a spot to be a conqueror over those things. So oftentimes in life, we think this sin, this temptation, this is just what is going to be me. I'm just going to struggle with thing, this thing for my whole life. 
I'm just going to face this pain my whole life when, when God would tell you that you are now, because of Christ, in a position to be a conqueror, a warrior over these things. And now don't read this and get a big head and look at yourself in the mirror and think, I've kind of figured this thing out. No, no, it's all because of what Christ has done. It's because the one who conquered sin, the one who conquered the grave, the one who was in the middle of the pit and who dragged you out of it has put you in a good position. And because of that, you can see yourself on his shoulders next to him side by side and know that you are not powerless over sin, that you are not powerless over temptation. You are more than that. And you're not special, but God is. And that's where we've been positioned forever. Not just like during the post-camp high, not just like during times where you're reading your Bible, that's your position forever. Man, you need to be reminded of that. You need to remind yourself of that truth constantly because the enemy would like to say, look at this famine, right? Look, look at this drought that you're feeling and experiencing in your life. Look at this physical danger that you're in. Look at this shame that you're feeling. And Paul says, can any of those things separate us from God? Nope. And in fact, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not through him who dealt with us, not through him who puts up with us, not through him who like had to like make this thing available for everyone, no, but through him who loved us because his love and his, our security in him are inseparable. You can't separate one from the other. Tribulation. Man, God, you know, if God loved you so much, why would you be feeling these tribulations? Man, this distress, your anxiety, these panic attacks, your depression, that's got to be evidence that God doesn't love you. Famine, you know, things have been kind of dry recently. You're not really accomplishing the things you wanted. That must mean that God is off doing something else. The shame that you're feeling, this nakedness, right? Man, that's got a, this, this, this poorness, this, uh, this lack of physical protection. No, none of these things can separate us from God. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You read that and you're like, that does not encourage me in my fight against this thing that I'm going through right now, right? You're like, that is interesting. Why would Paul just bring this into the light? Paul is quoting the Old Testament here and he is saying, hey, Christians, don't be surprised when these things happen, right? Christians shouldn't be surprised when trials come into their lives, but they shouldn't act powerless either. And he is drawing this out as it is written, aka as we kind of predicted it, we as followers of God's sheep, we are gonna be in situations where it feels like we're just going to our death and going through our disappointment, going through our difficulty. And Paul says, don't be surprised when these things happen, but you are not powerless. In fact, you are more than a conqueror. We shouldn't be surprised when these things come, but we shouldn't act helpless when they actually do. Now, I don't want you to look at this, right? The next couple of verses and think, okay, I'm a conqueror now. I can conquer my sin. I can conquer my death. No, what does it say? Through him who loved us, through him. That's the person who has given us our position. Jesus, the one who is slain for us, the one who is given up for us, the one who, God, who didn't spare his own son for us. That's who we rely on now. 
That's who we rely on. And Christians stand firm in the middle of these trials because we have an unshakable position in God's everlasting love. That's why God's described as a fortress, a very present help in times of trouble, right? Psalm 46, the very first thing we learned this year. That's what this verse is saying. We have a conqueror. We are considered secure. We are also considered conquerors because of the fortress we have, because of the security we have, because of the confidence we have. Who could possibly be against us? What could possibly happen? What could separate us from this love? And like I said before, this is sometimes in scripture, one of the clearest things even like non-believers, people who don't go to church, people who don't read the Bible will say and affirm that God loves you or say like, yeah, God loves you, God bless you, things like that. And so often we hear those words and we're like, yes, I know that to be true, but I don't believe it. I know that to be true. Look at this in verse 38. Paul's ending Romans 8 here. And we're ending this sermon. We're ending this series. For I am sure of this, friends, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's everlasting love. That's the final point. Nothing can separate you from God's everlasting love. And so the question right now should not be, does God love me in the midst of this trial? The question in your heart and in your mind right now should not be, does God care about me? Does God love me in the midst of this pain I'm feeling? The question in your mind right now should not be, does God love me through this depression, through these panic attacks? Does God love me right now? That should no longer be the question in your heart and in your mind. The question now has to be, do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that? And I can't answer that question for you. I can tell you he does, but I can't, I can't get into your head. I can't tell you where you're at right now. That's the question that you have to wrestle with. That's the question you have to think through. Do I believe that he loves me? Do I believe that with my heart that he loves me, that he cares for me? It's the love of Christ that moves us. There's so many people in this room who love God. And I know you and I've known you. I've walked with you for almost a year now. And I know that you love God. But it is not your love for God that is moving you through life. It is God's love for you that is moving you and is motivating you. And so the question is, do you believe that to be true? Do you believe right now that he does, because I could confidently tell you it's true. But do you believe it? He didn't spare his own son. Height, nor depth, nor death or life, things present, nor things to come. When Paul said this, 2,000 years have gone by since he said this, since the Holy Spirit put these things from pen to paper. 
and all of those things have come. Height, depth, powers, all of creation. Everything has attacked the Christian church throughout those 2000 years. Everything has attacked believers throughout those years. Powers, all of everything in creation has gone against and tried to attack believers. But what has not faded? God's everlasting love. And here we are all these years later saying the same thing. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's pray together. God, I pray for this moment right now. God, I pray that as we respond, we would consider that question. God, we see the evidence. We see it in your words. We know it to be true, God, but help us. Help us in our unbelief. In moments where we don't believe that you love us, God, help us to believe. God, we know that the person in this room that fully, truly believes that God loves them is living their lives with this unmovable, unshakable confidence in you because of who they are in Christ. God, I pray for the person right now who is wrestling with that. I pray that you would illuminate these truths to their heart. I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would chip away at the disbelief, at the lies that they have come to believe. And I pray that they would believe your truth, that they would know your truth to be true, your word to be steadfast. God, I'm thankful that in Jesus, we find true life and everlasting love. Those are the two things that we get. True life and everlasting love. Help us to believe that. Help us to sing right now with confidence. We love you, Lord. Thank you that it's not our love for you that sustains us, but it's your love for us. It's your love for us that has guided us and directed us. Help us in our unbelief. Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen.